0: Welcome to The Church Podcast, talking all things ministry so you can do church better. I'm your host, Chris Wesley, joined by the lovely John Ronaldo. John, how's it going today?
1: I am lovely. What a great compliment. That is not an affirmation I get very often, so I appreciate that. Uh, just in case uh, you podcast listeners were wondering, I am lovely, so this is good. <laughs> I, no, I'm doing well. Hey, weather's warming up. I'm super excited about about that uh, and and we're in spring, we're in crazy quarantine, and we're living the dream, so we're doing well, uh, but we're, we're hanging in there. How about you, Chris? you doing good?
0: Well, as you always say, these are unprecedented times, so yeah um, <laughs> yeah, you know it, it, I have to say like we're starting to get into a rhythm um, in the Wesley household, uh, which I, I appreciate. Um, and it started with uh, the fact that I have now surrendered, 8 a.m. to about 11 a.m. Eastern Time to just focusing on getting my first grader through his homework, through his schoolwork, you know. And uh, I think before just trying to manage it and just, you know, blocking it out and telling people, sure, you can try to schedule a call with me at that time, but I can't guarantee it. It's probably not going to happen. But after 11 a.m., I'm most likely done uh, schooling him and uh and and we're good to go um and that's not even taking into account my fourth grader that's just uh my first grader. so yeah yeah but with that rhythm it's it's helped and 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 so i'm hoping that our listeners that people around are are trying to um establish those boundaries because i think that's where we need to go
1: well, we are in good company, Chris, because not only do you have young kids that you're trying to teach at home, I've got young kids that I'm trying to teach at home, but we have a special guest on the podcast with us who also has kids at home that he's trying to manage while working from home. Uh, it is an absolute pleasure for me to introduce to uh, the church podcast, uh, Dr. Josh Packard. Uh, Josh Packard is the executive director of the Springtide Research Institute and has recently just released a new uh, research book called Belonging, and uh, it's re- reconnecting America's loneliest generation. And so, Josh, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you on here and uh, looking forward to this conversation to talk about loneliness and young people. And so, so again, thanks for saying yes to this, uh, this being on the podcast with us.
2: Oh, I'm happy to be here. This is, uh, this is great. I love talking about this stuff. And, and sort of it's, it's nice to sort of hear how everybody else is managing and dealing with the same kinds of things. I, Chris, as you were talking, I was just thinking, like, that is, so we're not doing, it's not every day, but instead my wife and I have been alternating days with our 10-year-old. Um, so it's the same thing, like Wednesdays, you can try and schedule a call with me, but it says on my calendar that I'm busy because I'm, uh, you know, doing number sequencing or paragraphs or whatever, you know, assignments have come home for the 10-year-old.
1: Yeah, I hear that. And I am not a stay-at-home I am teacher at all. I have no patience for it. This is why I don't work with children. Like, I love my children, but teaching them? No, thanks. Well, one I'm, of my
2: friends who's <laughs> a youth minister in San Antonio, he said, uh, teacher of the year this year is a 200 million way tie between all the parents in the
1: country. <laughs> I like that.
0: Well, you know, like uh, I don't want to give anyone the false impression that it's uh, like I'm Robin Williams from (laughs) the Poets Society, you know, (laughs) like managing this shot. It's a lot of like, like really bad behavior of me saying like, fine, you're not going to do it this way. I'm going to make you do it this way. No ice cream for you today during quarantine or, you know, things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of threats. It's just now I've managed to squeeze it in that time of like, <laughs> my whole day. So, um, but you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting because um, I really appreciate there's this new at and commercial where it shows the outside of people's homes and it's like the Williams high school. Or um, you know Josh um, Josh McDowell's um, you know elementary you know learning <laughs> yeah. center and stuff and it's just showing that yeah we're we're um, recreating homeschooling in a whole new sense um, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because with this topic of belonging I think you know we're in this world where we're all going through this same pandemic we're going through the same sort of situation. And you'd think that there'd be a whole bunch of solidarity and community amongst that, but really there is a lot of isolation. There is a lot of um, feeling alone and, and lonely with this, but um, as we're learning too, loneliness is not a new thing. And, uh, and so Josh, it, it's really good to have you on this show to, to sort of talk more about that. Um, yeah, just, so, tell tell what,
1: us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about this research that that just came out, and, and
2: we're going to really riff on that for a while. So Sure. Um, yeah, I'm an I'm a, uh, executive director of Springtide Research Institute, which is a, a new research institute that focuses on the inner and outer lives of 13 to 25-year-olds. So we sit right at that intersection between their sort of religious and daily experiences, whether that happens, you know, whether those religious experiences happen inside or outside of an institution, you know, increasingly for that age group, it's not happening inside of institutions, but we kept hearing, you know, from the research we were doing and, and just anecdotally was that they were really still asking what are essentially religious questions. What should I do with my life? What happens when I die? Is there a God? Uh, and dealing with, uh, you know aspects of spirituality and what would normally fall under the umbrella of religion, they were just doing it without the sort of trusted, I mean the sort of normal trusted religious connections like you know going to church or having pastors in their lives and things like that. And so springtime really exists to help understand that intersection in this new world, um, this new reality and then uh, to turn those insights into action that can equip the people who work with young folks in a variety of settings. Uh, to, to really help them create meaningful lives uh, that, that tap into their sort of most basic human needs. I mean, I think the best way of explaining what we do uh, at Tide is, is we say, you know, we believe that no young person should have to deal with life's most important questions alone. So we're here to produce actionable insights to see that they don't have to do that. Um, but we recognize fully that it's really the folks on the ground that are going to do that work. And we're just here to try and reframe some of the maybe misconceptions that are out there and, and arm people with better actionable insights.
1: So the title of this new research really is a bold statement because basically in this research, you're saying this is America's loneliest generation. <laughs> I mean, you literally say that in the subtitle, Reconnecting America's Loneliest Generation. Tell us what the data has been telling you about these this 13 to 25 year old range in, in terms of loneliness and isolation and, and how, this was released before this was completed before coronavirus right mm-hmm. and how how is COVID 19 affected or exasperated all of that
2: yeah so this is actually not um i i recognize the the sort of power of that subtitle and yet it's it's not even a remotely controversial fact the this is not just from our own research but um there's this thing called the ucla loneliness index that some Uh, researchers developed out of, you guessed it, UCLA um, about 40 years ago, uh, if I remember correctly. Anyway, it's been these studies about loneliness and isolation have been going on for a long time. They started to get some traction lately after Cigna did a big study a couple of years ago because what Cigna found and then subsequent studies have found, including ours, was that for the first time ever, it was the youngest generation that was the loneliest. So this is normally something that happens to older generations as their friends die, you know, as they maybe get dislocated from their homes into assisted living facilities or some other place to live with family, you know, they, they just sort of get removed from the connections of regular daily life. But now what we're seeing is that it's, it's the youngest people. I mean, Cigna went down to 18. So they, they were talking about Gen Z, 18 to at that point 25. Our own research, we, we think it's really important to spend the time and, and extra resources and money to go all the way down to 13-year-olds for um, our surveys and things like that, even though we have to get, you know, there's more hoops to jump through, but we think that it's an under-studied um, portion of the population that's really important. And it was the same thing. I mean, their, their scale numbers are off the charts. Not only are they the loneliest of the generations, but their loneliness scores or isolation scores are higher than any others uh, in recent memory. So that's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's sort of an eye opener and yet at the same time, for the people who've been paying attention to that, it's kind of a duh. Um, and that wasn't even the most, so that wasn't the most revelatory thing in that, in that study. It was sort of taken as fact. And what we did there, though, in belonging, like I said, we're not, I, I tell people, that, I tell my staff at Tide all the time that the last thing we want to do is be called interesting. You know, like we, we're not interested, you know, like I don't want to put out data that's just interesting. We, we want to put out stuff that people can do something with. So the data then um, Both the surveys and the interviews help us to drive back towards how we can sort of create a sense of belonging and why the old systems don't work the way that they used to. Um, and, and so, hence, we're seeing this new trend.
1: So surely if someone's involved in youth ministry or in the church or whatnot, that uh, mitigates some of uh, this loneliness that's happening. I mean, that has to be true, right? You know, the, what does your data tell you in terms of people's and young people's involvement in, say, youth ministry or other youth serving organizations? Are they less lonely? Are they more lonely? What, what, what did you guys come up with there?
2: Well, see, John, you're a really good sociologist because that was uh, exactly my hypothesis that we started off with. That uh, we thought we were going to put out a report that basically said, like, here's the massive difference that going to church makes or being in a campus ministry makes or, uh, you know, going through a a bar mitzvah process makes, uh, you know, that that there's all kinds of connection that comes from that. And, And on top of that, we were also not just looking at religious connections, but secular ones as well. So being involved in after school activities or sports teams, things like that. And we were stunned to find that across the board, and and even in religious settings, attendance made no difference. So the number or the frequency, if you attended versus if you didn't, had no impact on people's, uh, young people's sense of isolation and loneliness. And that was, uh, you know, I always tell people like, you know, you've got a good research project when you have a really good hypothesis that turns out to be wrong. Um, So that sent us sort of scrambling back to the data (laughs) because the, the attendance just wasn't the thing that we thought it was gonna be.
0: Is that because, um, you know, uh, well, and, and, I don't know, I'm not the sociologist of the group here, but, uh, is that because <laughs> you're outnumbered? <there's>, <laughs> you know, it, it, the one thing that kind of popped up to my mind, as you started to say it was, it wasn't too surprising, but I wonder if it's because we have a, such a structured society, you know, like as, as you're talking, my mind's racing to be like, oh mm. my gosh, are, are my kids lonely? Are they alone? And, um, and part of it, part of the thing that came to mind was that they're involved in so much that's so mm-hmm. structured that um, if these overly structured um, programs and things that we have them a part of, not just in, in ministry, um, have prevented uh, that room for boredom and just casual conversation and, and deepening mm-hmm. relationships. And I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but um, yeah, is that, is that part of it, the overstructured uh, society that we live in?
2: So I, that's really, that's a really great question that there's not room for boredom. I mean, that's one of the things that my, you know, especially during stay at home, my 10 year old, you know, he'll say like, I'm bored. And I'll tell him like, I'm okay with that. (laughs) That's not, that is not a problem for me to solve. Uh, The, so I think that the, the amount of, the amount of like, you know, activities that people have their kids in and things like that. I mean, there's a, there's a million different structures that can work for families, depending on sort of what their constraints are and what their gifts are and what their talents are, et cetera. Like some people can do homeschooling. Um, You know, Chris is getting by (laughs) by his own admission. Like, you know, that, that there are things I think that really work and fit for some families that don't for others. I think the bigger thing that's happened here though, is that we've seen this shift in broader society from when, you know, maybe when I was a kid in the 1980s where like, we lived in this world of sort of institutional trust at some level at that point and so the idea was which of these large organizations are you going to get plugged into and then from there your relationships will flourish and blossom and, and you'll be really connected and, and you won't be alone and what we've what we've got now according to a variety i mean any number of surveys that you can look back over the last 50 years including our own at springtime is that there's just basically no trust for large social institutions I mean, whether it's The government or if it's big business, um, you know, if we're looking at school systems, whatever it is, and certainly religion counts there too. trust levels are really low. So those old solutions, you know, that they that were built for in A world full of institutional trust those old solutions revolved around come to the institution. We are the place that has the answers, you will get connected here. Well, those don't work anymore in a world where we don't trust those institutions to have our best interests in mind. So even when people are connected, all they're doing then, because they've got their guard up, um, all they're doing is forming these really surface level connections and, and not really anything that gets past the sort of the, you know, in fact, like there's this counterintuitive thing that, ha- that's, that social scientists have known for a while is that there are really two kinds of connections in this world there are bridging and bonding, and bonding are your close friends and bridging are your acquaintances. And the issue isn't that one is better than the other, it's about balance. And if you end up with too many bridging connections, it actually leads to, uh, and we always of course more bridging connections than bonding ones, because you can only have so many close friends, right? But if you get way out of whack with those bridging connections, then it actually leads to this deep sense of loneliness, even though you appear to be really connected. So think about a young person who is, seems like, you know they are on their phone all the time, seems like they have a million friends, but it paradoxically creates this inability um or lack of opportunity in some ways to form those really deep bonding relationships and so the more we lean into those institutional responses the the more we're sort of moving backwards in terms of what really needs to be done.
1: So you're you're talking to an audience of folks who are part of probably the largest institution in the world yes. the Catholic <laughs> Church right yes. you know. So you're basically telling us that institutions like our churches, our parishes, aren't necessarily the answer because of trust has declined and whatnot. So what did your research say in terms of what the quote unquote solution is to solving this concern of loneliness and isolation?
2: Well, I I, I think there's a really important distinction to make here, John, which is it's not that I think that those institutions or that the research suggests that those institutions are unimportant. It's that the, the, I want to put this in air quotes over audio, right? The institutional response um, is the is the one that's not as effective as it used to be. And it's it, that is, a, I want to be very careful there to say that it's not because it was wrong. Um, and the analogy I use here a lot is Blockbuster. Like we don't go to Blockbuster and get our movies anymore, but that doesn't mean we stopped watching movies. And it doesn't mean that Blockbuster was a bad model. I mean, Blockbuster was amazing in the 1980s that you could walk in and pick like, you know, from Hundreds of movies where you could previously only see them essentially in a theater or you know on TV whenever TV started. Now you could get what the 1980s and 90s equivalent was to on-demand, right, in your own home. That was amazing, and I think like all these program-driven models that were the institutional response, they were they were phenomenal. I mean, they certainly got me connected, all of my friends connected. We did lock-ins, we did retreats, we did ski trips, we rented buses. I mean, it was a suburban youth ministry quintessential experience, right? Uh, and they were, they were really great. It's just that when the world changes, um, our response needs to change as well. So we don't have Blockbuster anymore. Now we have Netflix. And, and the reason for that is because Blockbuster couldn't figure it out and pivot, right? And the church needs to figure this out and pivot because the reality is that young people are still answering, are asking these questions. They're looking for answers and they want really trusted experts and guides to help them do it. And if the church isn't gonna pivot, they're gonna look for some, they're gonna look somewhere else. Um, and that, w- so I, I, I wanna be really clear that the institution is still really important. It's that quote unquote institutional response. Instead, what we need to be leaning into, the research was very clear about this, is that what young people really want are trusted adult relationships. Um, that was the key, you know, every time we came back to it, that was the key for sort of the antidote as we call it to this isolation and loneliness and to getting them connected in a way that helped them address these bigger, important questions that they have in their life beyond, I mean, you know, sometimes a 14 year old's most important question for that week is like, are they gonna pass their algebra test? I get it. Um, But they're all like, even embedded in that concern is something that's, that begins at an age appropriate level to speak to these larger spiritual concerns of like, maybe the reason I wanna pass my algebra test is because my parents told me to, well, like, that sounds like honoring your elders to me, you know, and like maybe there's a career concern embedded in there or um, because you're following your passion, because if you need to get a B so your parents will let you play sports or whatever it is. Like the, we need to understand young people at that level so we can deal with their questions in this larger context, but that can only happen through relationships. It's not gonna happen because they show up to a confirmation class.
1: One of the lines that I, I say often, I'd be interested in your thoughts on it, and Chris, have, you and I have certainly talked about this before, is, is the church is often answering questions that young people are not asking. And, and that is encapsulating some of the things that, that you're saying right here. So you're saying there's a couple things that you said that I want to kind of tease out here a little bit. So first of all, you talked about the importance of relationships, but you mentioned something a little bit earlier about programs mm-hmm. and, and, and how programs were effective. Not that they can't be effective today, but, but there, there's, there's something about this more focus on relationship versus program. Programs are not the answer. It, you know, it's part of it. It, it, can, it can be part of the solution potentially, but it's how do programs or how do what we do as church build authentic relationships between young people and adults. So that, I mean, that's what you're getting at, right? Mm-hmm. It's like our, our focus on of church is uh, so programmatic and your data is saying, well, how do we do relationships? Am I reading that right? And, and what would be your thoughts on that
2: particular comment? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the, it's it's natural to try and do you know you, that that point of the the church is answering questions that young people aren't asking. The only thing I would say is that they aren't asking anymore. Um, that again, that the, the really important thing to understand here is that the world has changed around you, um, and COVID is going to certainly speed that up even more. Um, that the 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 when I say programs, you know, I'm sort of speaking loosely here because I think you can build a program, you can have a program that is built around relationships. But like, if we think just very simply about measuring what matters, right? Like, what do you care about? And we, we end up, you know, I think we all who are, all the people who are doing ministry with young folks care about some sort of spiritual development some, a relationship with the divine or something, you know, along those lines. And we end up with proxies for that, so for a long time in that institutional trust world, the proxy for that was attendance and that made total sense like track attendance because If people are coming. We know they're getting it because the big thing is like they know like they're not going to doubt us. They trust us. We have the credentials. We have this building. We have this, you know, large institution behind us. Of course, we have all the authority. But now that we don't live in that world attendance is a really poor measure of the impact that you're having on young people and yet and now like every, I can see all the people who are doing frontline youth ministry work are, are nodding along with the podcast. Um, but for their bosses, I'll say attendance is a really poor measure of impact that you're having with young people. And We should stop tracking it
1: um, or
2: stop using it as the one KPI that we use for like what we're doing here. We need, to, we need to bring as much sophistication and innovation to relationship-driven programs as we have in the last 30 years to sort of institutionally driven programs.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's reassuring. And of course, as a youth minister, I was nodding my head, as you were saying that, Josh, Uh, you know, it's, uh,
2: it's, you you sense it, right? Like you see it on a daily basis.
0: Well, you know, though, like, I I wouldn't um, let so many frontline youth ministers off the hook, because they they buy it. And and we're even seeing this now in quarantine, right, where it's kind of like, it's so great. I had 50 people on my zoom, you know, virtual night. I'm like, that's, all you've done is just move, change, change locations, right? And 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 so that's that's where it, I, I think it needs to change. And um, you know, I want to go back to like what you were saying about you know uh, something you said that struck me was that they're not asking questions anymore. And I like I, I think that's so true. You know, one of my frustrations as a youth minister is the fact that I don't have those teens asking those polarizing questions or those challenging mm-hmm. questions that make me even think about my own faith and my own belief, which um, I, w- I would say were coming in droves like 10 years ago. Um, what we've found in, in, our, in our paradigm, in our ministry, is that the adults have to model what healthy conversations look like in front mm-hmm. of the teens so that they can start to mimic that behavior, right? So what we've actually found is it's kind of like, um, our youth small groups or or, um, uh, sessions have been more of like, here are a bunch of adults having this conversation, let's invite the teens into, you know, ask their thoughts and their opinions, um, and, uh, and start to mimic it. And the more that teens are a part of that conversation that intergenerational conversation then we start to um, build that trust then we start to see that opportunity for questions to be asked and then we can get into the catechesis you know Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) but um yeah Yeah. Yeah. i don't know what your thoughts are on that but like i think that's that's, what we have to model
2: that intergenerational thing can be really huge here especially as you know one of the we were surprised also to find that we thought peers were going to have this really important a uh, role to play in terms of helping their, their fellow um, uh, peers feel like they belong somewhere and end up being adults because peers cause as much stress and trouble and trauma in their lives <laughs> as anything else. Um, and so this, the intergenerational angle is really important because adults are stabilizing forces and to, to show that adults are having an ans- uh, you're having these same concerns, asking these kinds of questions. Young people have them too. They've just sort of lost the language now for how to for in many ways for how to articulate them. And so as the church doesn't always do a super great job of paying attention to the new ways that young people are asking those questions, they're there, right? They're there, they're just maybe not in the same sort of like, uh, you know, (laughs) 2 a.m. at the lock-in when everybody's a little bit, uh, you know, like sleepy and in that stage, but they don't wanna run around anymore and they're not quite hyper yet. Like that's when those conversations used to come, like now they've just taken a different shape, but young people are still very much Asking themselves and curious about those kinds of things, but they, they, you're right; like they need language for that. Well, uh,
0: how much do you think also um, Google, um, just to use that as an example, is um, you know supplementing um, the? opportunity of asking questions Uh, let me ask that in a better way like in what ways how is uh like the internet you know helping or hurting that if i don't have to talk to an adult who's gonna or a person who's gonna judge me i can just go online therefore why ask why ask josh a question when i can just ask google
2: that's a really good question chris so i i don't know the answer to it i mean but we should we should at springtime research that you know what we i know what we shifted to in higher ed at least in my department is you know we're not trying to teach people to have answers now um because all of that information is accessible and i think that's the you know when the answer and you know when the only source of information used to lie with the institution you would then the institution's job was to transfer that information to the to the to the other person um but now what we're doing is trying to teach them how to think um and, and that's always been a part of higher ed but but certainly that's taken on a bigger focus because now they've got so much information like they need to know what to do with it when they get it right and the church would do well in many ways to pivot and, and think about that as a part of relationships like One of the things that I feel like often gets misunderstood is when I say that young people want relationships with trusted adults. I think adults sometimes hear that as like, but they, they want me to be their friend and, and the answer is like, no, they don't want you to be their friend. They really want your expertise and your guidance um because they know that you're experts and and what that the form that that expertise looks like is in listening and helping them to think through the issues that are going on in their lives as opposed to like well here are the three answers for how to deal with that situation because we know everything right like they're not going to trust that response but if you can ask the right questions and sort of help them to process through what they're encountering um, that's really an invaluable place to be in somebody's life because you, you'll have access and influence over, you know, their decision-making and, and, uh, for years to come beyond just this particular issue.
1: You know, and until you said that, I hadn't made the connection to what Pope Francis has been talking a lot about lately is, is this sed- synodality way of being, of thinking, which is really about listening mm-hmm. and being present, right? Pope Francis, even from the top of our church hierarchy, is, is suggesting that very thing right? And using some different language, using some churchy language around it, right? You know, but it's like, it's it's that language of accompaniment mm-hmm. and listening and understanding and and, and uh, being there of compassion and, and empathy, as opposed to just providing the answer, allowing them to think, right? To, to your point of teaching them how to think about whether it's moral issues or faith or, or life issues or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we've got people on this podcast, we've got youth ministry leaders, children's ministry leaders, we've got liturgy people, we've got clergy, we've got diocesan, we've got a whole gamut of people who listen to this podcast. And okay, okay, now institution is less trusted, programs is not necessarily the answer unless it's a way of doing relationships, right? You know, Um, so more trusted adults, good. How do we do that? What what would be some of the suggestions, Josh, that you have in terms of how church specifically can make that pivot, you know, to focus in on those meaningful adult interactions with young people?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, John. Um, the our, our qualitative research helped us to sort of uncover, not sort of helped us to uncover this process called noticed, named, and known. And it's really a three-step process. And if you can if you can progress from having a young person feel noticed and then feel named and then known, you get to this point of belonging. Um, and we can, I'm happy to talk about what each of those look like, but on on a real practical level, uh, you know, I think first and foremost, this starts with, um, really paying attention. And I don't mean paying attention and keeping it in your head. I mean, in the same way that that I know so many good youth ministers who sit down and they use the summer as sort of their planning time. Usually uh, for a lot of people, there's this lull between camp season and when school starts and they sort of plot out the calendar for the year with all the events and things that they're going to do and then they back that up and they have like, okay, so if we're gonna have this event on this time, then we need to you know, start the marketing for it at this time, when you get these volunteers in place, and they've got this whole like sophisticated system that's gonna drive this event-driven ministry, you know, for the next nine months. Well, that's what I mean by taking the same kind of innovative approach to relationships too. Like, do you also have, and I think this can be as simple as a spreadsheet. Now, I'll, I'll give you two examples here. One is just, I know I know a minister who has a, a youth minister who has a spreadsheet, they've got, um, Across the top, it is, when did we have one-to-one contact um, with this young person? And then on the rows is the name of every young person who is in their ministry and that that it's a friend of of one of the kids in the ministry. And then they just track it. And that's how they measure everything that they do. Are we having enough of these kinds of interactions? That is their sort of guiding North Star. On the other hand, I know this really fantastic ministry that built their own, essentially a CRM for relationships, they took their eight stages of development for um, having a, a, what they call a close relationship with God. They put those into it and they say, their philosophy is we'll let the kids drive the timeline, but we always know what the next steps are that we're trying to meet because they work with a lot of kids in trauma. And so whether it takes six weeks or six months or two years to go from stage two to three, you know, they'll hang out with them for as long, but they never forget them, right? They put it into the CRM, they plot it, they take notes. If a kid walks in in the middle of a crisis, any one of their staff can pull it up and know exactly where that kid has been um, and know who their primary contact is. It's a really sophisticated system. And then they chart progress on those as the way to, um, as the way to, like when they do quarterly annual reviews, when they do ministry reports, So on the one hand, simple spreadsheet. On the other hand, a P like an app, they actually built for their ministry and it allows them both things allow them to work on a relational level at scale. Because anybody can have access to those kinds of things. And with a little bit of training can understand how they fit into this overall system, because what you're going for is a culture of belonging, you know, if you start with these one to one like i'm going to get this kid to have a sense of belonging and this one and this one and this one it's not like you have to multiply that times 150 for a ministry to 150 kids what'll happen is that you'll hit this tipping point and you'll start attracting others who want to do that work with you and for you um, and you'll and you'll have other kids who you know will feel that sense of belonging cuz it'll spill over as well but that's where it starts i think it's really getting clear about what do you do what do you want kids to do and what are you being intentional about because it's not just hanging out with kids you know we're we're, we're hanging we're with them for a purpose
1: and this is not just a youth ministry thing to do with high school and junior high students you know this is something that i really love this i mean you're blowing my mind here a little bit because i actually i do matrixes and and do some of that, you know, measuring and matrix, you know, and metrics Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But to think about tracking relational contacts, you Mm -hmm. know, it's really just blew my mind there a little bit. It sounds so obvious when you say it, but I'm like, I've never done that. Right. You know, but we, it's not just a youth ministry thing. It's young adult ministry. It's, it's children's ministry. You can start that in children's ministry, but quite honestly, it's also with adults. One of the things that we've seen because of coronavirus is we can't meet people face to face. And I, I really credit a lot of parishes who said they pulled out the database and they started doing phone calls. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? Right. And that's that point of contact that that although this research is focused on young people, what you're saying really applies to all stages of life, too. It's not mm-hmm. just with young people. Right. But I can see how that's transferable. And especially in light of coronavirus, how that's transferable to everybody. Well, let's jump in here.
0: Yeah, it's basically case management. Um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like I, I love uh, how you use the example of a spreadsheet versus a CRM. And, you know, um, I, I can't account for all parish database systems. Um, we, we, That's a whole nother podcast right. for my time. But like, <laughs> you know, one of the ones that we use at our parish and, and I use it at um, um, the both parishes I worked at Ministry Platform, uh, there are places for you to take notes on your parishioners, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of like... You know, uh, I think not, you know, John made a great point. It's not just teens, but it's young adults and even adults. You know, you could start a caseload at baptism, right? The kid mm-hmm. is baptized in the church or even the kid's born. And and that's where you start that, that case management. You're like, okay, you know, from this age to this age, uh, children's ministry, is are they're the head case manager on that until you pass off to youth ministry and whatnot. And, and they're part of the caseload, and they're working with the case manager for um, that that couple that went through pre-cana or that um, through the baptismal classes and everything like that, and um, and and keeping notes on the progress that people are making in their faith journey. Um, it goes back to the comment that you made. We we just rely so much on attendance and mm. uh, and think that it, it, you know it, it's hard to really criticize it too much because you want trust in that family's. Are catechizing and um, doing uh, what they need to do in regards to, you know, um, you know, re- raising their children and 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 teaching them the faith. But you know, it comes back to the fact that it's not compartmentalized. Where okay, your family, you're married, you're all Catholic, you guys catechize the church. The church will just be here for mass. You know, that's where we're working together in that regards. And I think if we can go back to our database systems and not just make sure that contact info is correct, but that there's a place to take notes. And they say, like, you know what, John really um, did well, um, you know, in fifth grade uh, with participation and engagement in the parish. But now in middle school, he's struggling. Like, you know, let's talk about that. You know, how can we reach out to his parents and just have those conversations in the staffs? And then, I, and then I think, like, um, then I think uh, the church is doing it, it, its job. Um, you know, the one thing that comes to mind, though is as cool as it would be to have these CRM tools and these processes, you know, let's be rea- realistic. Parishes only have like, you know, three or four or five people on staff mm-hmm. for, for a decent, you know, parish staff size. Um, right. Like, how can we engage and get the rest of the parish on board with this so that, you know, um, it's not just falling on, on father, you know, or on the deacon or on the parish secretary or DRE to to um, manage these relationships, what are other practical steps that parishes can do to to really um, tackle this subject?
2: Well, I think this is actually Chris, where the I mean, I th- this is where I've seen the research actually be effective in terms of motivating people to action, which is you know we, when we can when we can show the sort of um, and use just a little bit of like behavioral science principles in here too, which is if we can show that the world has shifted and then. You know, celebrate the work that was done in that old era, really honor it in some important way, uh, mourn that's passing if that's something that we need to do, because maybe we were really great at it. Um, but just something, you know, it's a tool that I learned from doing change management work, which was you make it impossible to go back you know, if you really want somebody to change, what you have to do is, like, you, you know, if you want them to adopt a new piece of software, you know, if you want the, somebody to use Google Docs and not Microsoft Word, then, you know, your IT administrator needs to uninstall Microsoft Office because otherwise people are going to keep going back. So what you do is you sort of, you, you, you present the data, um, you celebrate it honor it, you put a plaque up or something, you know, uh, to say like, that's your, we're not going back. So once you once you celebrate something like that, right, you it's sort of signaling it's over. It's like getting a lifetime achievement award, I means you're done. Um, the so i think that's one that's one really important way to signal to your congregation that there's a shift here and there's a new thing needed moving forward because what this can't be right is one more thing to do on top of a staff that's already working way more than their hours for way too little uh, money so it, it really has to be a thing that you're gonna lean into in place of some other work so that would be the first thing i would say is like let's let's make the shift and and you. Would, Treat it as you know. You would treat that as a campaign, just like you would for any other campaign. And I love that you were like bringing up lessons from other fields, the churches, in my opinion, has been um, A little bit too slow to learn those lessons. So you bring up case management. And I think, you know, if we're wondering, like, how does a congregation Get behind a relational approach to ministry of any kind, whether it's with young people or others. Well, we can turn to other places like, uh, you know, there are whole companies built on managing large databases and doing sales or doing donor relations, um, you know, or any number of things where they manage gigantic mailing lists and they have people that play different roles. And I think and it's probably many of those people are also doing some ministry in congregations. They're listening to this podcast and, you know, they can bring some of that expertise. So that would be my second step is I would say, let's, let's leverage the skills from the people who are doing this kind of work in other places. are essentially managing relationships in their jobs in other places um, and find out what they know about their local community that they could bring and maybe some management tools that they might help bring to our own ministry so we can start slotting people in the right places in the same way that we used to figure out like you know who made the best cookies that we were definitely going to tap so and so for the bake sale or you know like so-and-so loves to go skiing and will definitely go on the ski trip with our youth or whatever. It's just a new set of skills where we're trying to mobilize volunteers around. Some of them might be doing direct relational ministry. There's, there's security and safety things that we need to think about with that. But then some of them might have these other sort of administrative skills that we're not thinking about that can help alleviate some of the burden of organizing all of this too. So that, those would be the two things. Celebrate what's gone, pivot into something new by leveraging the skills that you have around you.
1: Man, I feel like I feel like we can go on and on and on, you know, with this. And, and fortunately, the conversation can continue in different formats. Uh, you know, Josh, I really appreciate that since I kind of coming on the podcast and doing this, how can people find out more about this research? Maybe purchase the book. And I know you guys have a, a podcast that you're launching too that talks more about this stuff. I think these are resources that can help our listeners. And so can you talk a little bit where people can find some of this information in the future?
2: Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, so I'll I'll um, and we'll try and drop these in the show notes too, if that's possible. But we're at uh, springtideresearch.org, and there you can get the the report "Belonging: Reconnecting America's Loneliest Generation." And and I think you know we've got some other things coming up this year that people will be interested in. Um, in particular, in the fall, we'll have a state of religion and young people report coming up that's going to put a bunch of information and resources together. But if you want to find out about all that first, you can go to the website and sign up for the Tide Report, which is our newsletter, and that's where all of our new data and things come out, um, including podcast episodes that will be up soon, um, the Voices of Young People podcast, where we hear directly from 13 to 25-year-olds who are engaging with our data. So I'm asking them questions specifically about some of the findings that we have, which is fascinating to hear them talk about it um you know firsthand in their own in their own words it's it's not it's not action driven as much as it is just sort of like i think about it as like creating the water that you swim in it's it's just really good to know those as reference points But they're illuminating for me for sure um so those would be the biggest places you know for people to connect with us we're on all social media at we are spring tide too
0: awesome thank you so much uh josh um uh, so, uh, again, if you want to get in uh, touch with Josh, you can uh, definitely uh, see those in the show notes. We'll, we'll definitely have those there. And, um, if you want to, uh, follow up on this conversation with us, uh, at, uh, the church podcast, uh, just definitely go to the um, or shoot us, uh, an email at questions at the church uh, dot org. Uh, but let's just say you want to get in touch with John, John, what's the best way to... Get in touch with you, my friend.
1: Yeah, you can as always reach out to me at parish success group.com or connect with me on Twitter, especially at John Ronaldo. I uh, would love to get in conversation about this stuff because this is what we're trying to do. And actually, Josh, I'm really appreciating this because this conversation is already changing the way I think about how I coach and work with parishes. Like, hmm. to me, there's the immediate implications about how this works with how I work with my clients. And it just tells me more and more it's like you never stop learning and you always keep changing. So I appreciate that. So, But yeah, that's I where people get a hold this of me.
2: Is, this has been great.
0: And if you wanna get in touch with me, uh, you can find me at all things Marathon Youth Ministry or go to MarathonYouthMinistry.com. But of course, we'd love for you to check out this episode and previous episodes at thechurchpodcast.org. And of course, uh, share this with your friends and leave us a, a five-star review on iTunes. Josh, again, it was a pleasure to have you. And uh, one thing we do with all of our guests is we ask if uh, they uh, would close us in prayer. Would you do that for us?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to think intentionally and deeply about the needs of young people, whether they're in our congregations or increasingly uh, outside of our congregations, but within our sphere of influence. Um, Pray for your guidance that we would do what is needed for them and with them. Amen.